Hey guys, welcome back to the JRM Sydney podcast. We are excited that you have joined us today. This month, we are exploring our new series, The Invisible War. We pray that you will be empowered and enriched as you listen in to this message. Thanks for tuning in, and God bless always. <laughs> all right, all right, you're awake. I'm convinced. Hallelujah. Can we just give the Lord the best claps of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Man, come on, come on, come on. Yes, hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we welcome you, Lord God, continually, Lord God, have your way in our hearts, Lord God, as we continue to listen to your word and, Lord God, receive it in our hearts. It's our prayer, Lord God, that you will make us good soil, Lord God, that the power of the seed that we will receive today will really grow. It will not be stolen by the devil, Lord God, that our hearts will not be caught up by the thorns and the cares and the pleasures of this world. And, Lord God, that it will not be a hard, hardened heart, Lord God, so that the seed cannot penetrate in. Lord, let hearts, Lord God, that are present in this place indeed be good soil. Because those hearts are the ones who will make a difference in this world. Father, make us, Lord God, those instruments, Lord God, in this world that is becoming darker and darker. May we indeed be salt and light, Lord. We thank you, Father. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are embarking on a new series this month. Amen. And uh, up there, can we read it all together? One, two, three. Yeah. Understanding spiritual warfare. And this is one of the, if not the most trickiest uh, teaching or topic that we can ever talk about. It's really one of those that are really difficult, you know, to, to, I wanted to carefully bring it to you, but it's something that we have to be aware of and we have to understand because as Christians, we are caught up in a spiritual warfare. Has anyone never heard of that phrase before, spiritual warfare? Sino po ang bago sa kanilang paninig yun, right? It's a familiar concept for us, but... Uh, within the history of Christianity, there are a lot of misconceptions uh, and two tendencies. Basically, the lack of understanding of it or the excesses or outside of biblical parameters. Uh, some of the Christian groups in, history, in the Christian history have become extreme about it. So, two, extremity, two extremities, those who are like overly you know, uh, in, engulfed into it, or those who do not even talk about it. And two, two of those extremities are both dangerous. So we have to have a proper understanding of spiritual warfare, and indeed there is an invisible war. The things that we see in the visible realm or the physical earth, our lives, the world around us, Governments, communities, families, everything that is visible is always influenced by the invisible. Everything that is visible is always influenced by the invisible. And if we believe in God and if we believe in the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, we would be healthy to believe that there are dark forces in the spiritual realm as well. That we have an enemy. Amen? And uh, that's what we are going to dis- discover today. This is not hopefully going to be a spooky kind of <laughs> frightening thing. But something that would encourage you and make you understand that the greatest authority in the, dark, uh, in the dominion of darkness, you have a much greater power over him. Amen? It's based on your identity as a child of God and also based on the victory that Jesus Christ has already won on the cross for each and every one of us. Amen? Uh, We want to understand this. So, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis chapter 3, from the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, down to the last chapter of the Bible, the devil is there. (laughs) The enemy is mentioned there. And thus, it's very important for us to understand this. Within the course, the course of our 
uh, teachings in the next coming Sundays, and I hope that you will be with us all throughout this coming Sundays because I believe this will make a difference in your life. What we will understand is, number one, what is spiritual warfare? Number two is, who is Satan? And what are demons? Their nature and their work in this fallen world. And then number three is Christ and his victory over Satan and the evil forces in the world. And then number four is the implications of Christ's victory to us, Christians, who believe in him. Amen? Followers of Jesus. And number five is our fight over sin and Satan's schemes in our everyday life. Yeah? The reality is even though the Satan is already a defeated foe, it doesn't mean he has stopped working. He's still at work. Although victory is already ours in Jesus Christ. Now, you might remember where I ended our preaching last week. I was teasing it already last week when we were talking about overcoming temptations. And we read Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read it all together from verse 10. It says, finally, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Hindi be strong in your education or be strong in your finances or be strong in your uh, talent or be strong in your capabilities. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. There he is. That word, by the way, schemes, is the Greek word methodia, which we get the word method, uh, strategies. So it tells us right off the bat that the enemy has a strategy. He has methods. He has schemes. And he has mastered it over centuries of trying to uh, go against the kingdom of God. And basically influence other people on earth. For our struggle, and this is very important, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's something that is intentional for Paul to say in the church of Ephesus, describing the kingdom of darkness or demonic forces as against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. He basically says that you are going to be wrong to underestimate him. And you're also going to be wrong to overestimate him, right? So those two are the wrong approaches to it. You have to know who you are and where you stand to be able to have a right uh, perspective and theology of demonology. Demonology is one whole semester of a subject in Bible school. So let's try to cramp it up within the next four Sundays. Anyways, um, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. This verse tells us that we are to do something. We are not to be passive. We are to do something. We are to put on the armor of God later on, as I already teased last week as well. We'll discuss what this means for us. In verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, not pray in the Spirit on Sundays. Not pray in the Spirit before you eat or before you sleep, but pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right. <laughs> now you became serious. 
Natulog na. Enthusiastic. How enthusiastic is that? Wala na, natulog na to. Natulog na. Hey! <laughs> Thank you, Kuya Ramel. You're very enthusiastic. All right, let's talk about this. The enemy and the unseen warfare. So why are we to talk about this? As I've mentioned earlier, this has been you know, mentioned a lot of times in the scriptures. And ignorance is one of the devil's favorite playground for his schemes to be effective. Uh, for the enemy's work to be effective, he wants you to think that he doesn't exist. He wants you to think that he is a fictional character. And media did not help with that because, you know, it's a misrepresentation with what we see. The devil does not look like, you know, red suit, tail, horn, and a fork. <laughs> it doesn't look like that at all. In fact, the Bible describes Satan as a, a very beautiful being. A very beautiful being. He is a former angelic warrior. The worship leader of heaven who has fallen down and wanted to be equal with God. Right? So I, I mentioned this earlier as well. There are two errors we can fall on the topic of angels and demons. I, 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 I mentioned this two years ago when we had the series Angels and Demons. And one is to disbelieve in their existence. And then number two is to excessively be interested in it as to glorify the spirit beings more than we glorify God. Which is in the spirit, the maraming mga spiritista na uh, engulfed into that. And even among Christians, right? Um, it's, those are two unhealthy things. There's a movie, I can't, I can't remember the title of the movie, but it was Kevin Spacey who said this line. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And it's, it's kind of true. To not be aware. Now, it's unhealthy to be so aware of the enemy more than you are aware of God. But it's also unhealthy to be unawareable. Because we have to be aware. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, in many instances in his letter, says that we have to be aware of the enemy's schemes. In the Bible, in the plethora of the stories and narratives that we find in the Scripture, they are given to us so that we would know, firstly, the promises, the plans, and the purpose of God. That's the ultimate, right? But also the Bible has given to us to expose the plans, the purposes, and the strategies of the enemy. Why? So that we will be wise. And that we would be able to stand against his schemes. Amen? Again, I mentioned earlier that even though the enemy is already a defeated foe and victory is already ours in Jesus, it doesn't mean that he is not working. There is a, a news article that I read as I was studying this. Uh, do you know that venomous snakes, especially uh, rattlesnakes, even after you behead a snake as a venomous serpent, it's still deadly. It's still deadly. Especially the rattlesnake. There is a news article that says that, you know, uh, a person chopped off the head of the rattlesnake. And, you know, the rattle, it's still rattling. <laughs> and the worst part is he picked up the head and then the, uh, what do you call this? The, the, uh, the automatic reflex. Even though the serpent is already dead, the reflexes are still there. So when the guy picked up the head of that serpent, the reflexes still worked and bit him. And then that person died. The serpent is still deadly even if it's already dead. <laughs> and we are, in a sense, a very similar situation that if we are not going to be... We are, we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, by the work of Christ on the cross. But if you're not careful you're not always going to be saved. You are saved, but it's not always that you are careful, and therefore you're not, you're not saved. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. Amen. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the purpose of the devil, the enemy, to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And later on, we'll talk about more of that. Um, I mentioned this already. I was going ahead of my outline. Two errors about Satan and evil. Number one is to underestimate them. 
Number one, for example, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 to 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. This is the Apostle Peter. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Hey, you have to understand this. this the enemy is serious to try to destroy your life. Hey, he doesn't have a chance for as long as you are under the shadow of God's wings. He doesn't. So one of the ways that he wants to accomplish his purpose in your life, to be able to steal, to kill, and to destroy, is to, to take you out of God's presence. Hey, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, dev the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Another part is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 11. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of his schemes. Um, sadly, there are a lot of Christians in the world that are unaware of his schemes, right? And that's what we are going to discover today, and hopefully in the next coming weeks as we talk about this. Then the next one is to overestimate them. Now, the whole point of this message, if you're going to get out of this room today, is to walk out not with fear or, um, you know, insecurity or be overwhelmed by this. Oh, I'm in a spiritual warfare. But to walk out of this building having a courage and a confidence that you have indeed already overcome. Satan is not to be feared nor is he to be taken lightly. We need to know where we stand, and we stand in the victory of Christ. Satan is already a defeated foe. Christ's victory over our enemy and over sin and death is final, but that doesn't mean the enemy has stopped working. Look at this. The perspective of Jesus over spiritual realm or spiritual beings is our model. It's our model. In fact, in the most famous The Lord's Prayer, it's one of those important parts that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray all the time. What was the last part of that Lord's Prayer? Just not a temptation and deliver us from the evil one. If you ask yourself the question, why would Jesus teach that? If that is not important. And that should be a daily routine of prayer in your life. That the Lord will deliver us from the evil one. That will protect us from the evil one. As parents, this should be your regular prayer over your children. Because the enemy is out to get them. You know, to, to get them out of the church. To get them out in relationship with God and all that. Right? Deliver us from the evil one. So, who is this being that we call Satan? Just a... A bit of information. Satan has become a proper name. So Satan is capital S and A-T-A-N. But in the scriptures, it's not really a proper name. It is a description. You know, uh, Satan is a Hebrew uh, word which basically means the adversary. So if it we're going to be grammatically correct, that the, the, the way to describe it is the Satan or the adversary, or the enemy, right? It's not like a proper name, like, you know, Tess, or Jeff, or Alan. It's not. It's a description of who he is. So that's Satan. Sat Satan is adversary, and in the Greek word, as they translated it, it's diabolos, where we get the word devil, yeah? So it means slanderer, or the accuser. The accuser of the brethren. There are other many different uh, descriptions of, the, uh, of, of, of Satan in the Bible. Um, the evil one, the tempter, the prince of this world, the god of this world. You know, but why is he the god of this world? Why is he the prince of this world? Uh, it was supposed to be Adam and Eve who, who were the caretakers of this world, the lords of this world. But Adam and Eve handed the keys to Satan in the Garden of Eden when they fell into sin. So that's why he's called the prince of this world, the god of this world. The father of lies and the murderer from the beginning. He's the deceiver of the whole world and he masquerades as an angel of light. All right. So look at this. Um, if we're going to talk about 
diabolos or the devil as the evil one, as we normally call that entity, um, it means accuser. Why is it called accuser? Now, there are uh, four ways by which he performs this tactic, you know, as an accuser to each and every one of us. Number one is he's accuser. He accuses God against us. You know, uh, if you recall the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, when Eve was walking in that garden and the serpent begins to talk to Eve, um, he accuses God against Eve. He basically says, is it really true that God said? So in a sense, he is basically telling Eve that what God said to you is not reliable at all. That you should doubt what God said. So the enemy's work in your life is to accuse God. When you undergo trials, when you undergo hardships, problems in your life, what are the first thoughts that comes into your mind? God does not love you anymore. God has forgotten you. Where is your God now? Oh, God's promises is not true then. That is the lie and the deception of the enemy. He accuses God against you. At the point where you believe in it, you now begin to doubt the trustworthiness of God, the faithfulness of God. And that's where Eve began to fall. He listened to the enemy and did not believe anymore the ultimate command that God has given her and Adam. Are you with me? Is this interesting to you? Yeah. Second one is that he accuses us against God. And obviously, God would not believe the lie of the enemy, but even though it's still the work of the enemy. If you remember the story of Job, you know, he, he says to, to God, ah, he only worships you, only praises you, only is obedient to you and serves you because he has everything. Yeah. And then God obviously tests Job and all that um, gives permission to the enemy even. You know, the enemy cannot do anything apart from God's permission. <laughs> Which is amazing, an amazing thought. He cannot do anything to you apart from God's permission. And that's also a, a very interesting thought because it means that he can allow the enemy to test you. Hey, um, and hopefully we would be coming out of that test like Job did and, and Abraham did and all the other characters in the Bible, holding on to the faithfulness of our God in, in spite of those tests. Hey, are you with me? Number three is he accuses us against ourselves. <laughs> this is where, you know, he diminishes your belief in yourself. Uh, see, you did it again. You don't, you know, don't pray anymore, God, no. Just keep on, you know, betraying and, you know, uh, disappointing God. And you're not worthy anymore. You uh, don't go to church anymore. You're a hypocrite. Who says that? This Satan, the enemy, is a master condemner. Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of our sins, but not to condemn us. It's two different things, conviction and condemnation. Conviction, the Holy Spirit, when you're about to do something or you've done something that is in, out of alignment to His will, He basically lovingly, sternly yes, but lovingly corrects you and redeems you, restores you, helps you. And it is quite specific when he deals about something in your life. He convicts you of something. He convicts you of lying. He convicts you of this. He it's specific. Specific. And he wants to help you overcome that and transform you into a more Christ-like manner. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 yes, it's a rebuke, but it's a rebuke out of love. And the result of that is you come closer to God because you realize that God is the one who can help you. That's the conviction. Condemnation is general. The voice of the enemy condemn you is, you're worthless. You're a disappointment. It doesn't specify what you've done. He attacks who you are. Quote, unquote, who you are. 
And the result of condemnation is what? You move farther away from God. Because the enemy accuses you against yourself. Are you with me? Can you relate to this? Have you heard these voices before? Have you believed in these voices before? The, the word of God wants to reveal the work of the enemy so that you will not fall into its traps. Amen. And last but not the least, he accuses us against each other. Unity is God's will and desire. Oh, how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands a blessing. There is an anointing that flows in unity. There is a blessing that flows and commanded by God in unity. And the devil hates it. So what he does is he accuses us against each other. And how many times have we seen that play out in many congregations, in many churches, in many families? Not just churches, but within your family itself. Oh, we came from a testimony of God's faithfulness of how the enemy has almost tear my family apart. We hated each other, brothers and sisters, many, many years ago. But now the Lord has restored us, rekindled the love and commitment that we have with each other, and all of us are serving the Lord, right? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But, again, the reality is that when you are in enmity towards another person in your family, in your community, in your church, in your congregation, it's probably the enemy behind it. The enemy is telling you, that brother, that sister, that churchmate, that uh, family member of yours is against you. Are you with me? You begin to see the flaws and the, you know, the flaws, the flaws, the, the cracks or the rough edges of your brother and sister, and you begin to hate them. Who's behind that? The enemy. He wants to break unity because he doesn't want the blessing to flow and the anointing to flow and the mission of God to be accomplished. Are you with me? Hey. Hard to swallow, hey. But this is the reality. That's why in the previous verse that we said in Ephesians 6, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It means that your enemy is not the person in front of you. Your enemy is not your wife. Your enemy is not your husband. You know, when you have a conflict, husband and wife, it, the enemy accuses you against each other. And he doesn't want you to unite and to reconcile. Why? He hinders unity so that blessing, restoration, healing, mission, God's purposes will not be accomplished. So the quicker you are to forgive, the more mature you are to see that the enemy is not flesh and blood, but the spirit the more that you are in alignment to God's purposes in your life. Now, most of the time, you will have to swallow your pride. And that means humility. And that looks like Jesus. Hey. You want to learn spiritual warfare? Humility. Forgiveness. It's not good to just, it's not effective, you know, to in Jesus' name, get out, get out, get out. And there's no humility, there's no forgiveness. Do you think the devil will run away when you do that? And then you keep harboring resentment, anger, unforgiveness. No, I don't think so. And by the way, I forgot to mention, again, I said earlier that the enemy is, uh, the sole purpose of the enemy is to go against you. As a child of God, to go against you, to oppose you. 
Because when you gave your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you now belong to the king kingdom of God, the, son, the kingdom of the Son of God. You are now belonging to the kingdom of light. And you are God's channel of blessing and purposes and mission on this world to accomplish in this world what He has purposed and planned to accomplish in this world. And so therefore, the enemy will oppose you. He'll be against you. Now you have to think, if you're not experiencing any opposition, maybe you're not a threat. Maybe you're on his side if there is no opposition. So rejoice, says James. Rejoice when you experience all forms of hardships. It means God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It means God wants to use you to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If there is hardship, if there is trial, if there is opposition in your life, you don't know where it's coming from, but it's just you know, trying to hinder God's purposes in your life, it means the enemy is against you because he's threatened by you. If there is no opposition in your life, you have to begin to ask the question, why? Why? It's probably because you're not a threat. You're not advancing the kingdom of God forward. Hey, with me? Man, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. uh, it's just me trying to catch up with my... <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at this. Look at this. You have to understand that the mission of the enemy is so that every single person on earth will be like him. <laughs> if the mission of God is for every single person on earth to be like Him, to be like Jesus. Christ-likeness is Christianity. Christ-likeness is our goal. The, the mission of the enemy is similar. He wants every single person on earth to be like Him. <laughs> and how does He accomplish that? Let's look first, what is He like? In Isaiah chapter 14, this is a description of the fall of Satan. In verse 12, it begins, How have you... Fallen from heaven, morning star. So, morning star, um, son of the dawn. That's morning star, that word morning star in Isaiah 14 in that next slide, kapatid. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. That is, the, the Latin word of that is Lucifer. That's where, where we get the word Lucifer. That's morning star. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. This is Satan speaking. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's the rebellion of Satan against God. He doesn't want to submit to God's kingship. He doesn't want to submit to God's authority. He wants to be like the Most High. Is that familiar? It's the same line that Satan was telling Eve. If you eat of this fruit you will be like God. Take note, not greater than God, because he knows that no one can be greater than God, but the deception is you will be like God. And is that familiar? Because it's the same deception that he is giving every single person in the world today. You don't have to submit to God. You can be your own God. That's why submission matters to God. That's why humility matters to God. This is pride of life. The king of pride is the enemy. And if there is pride in our lives, that is an image of the devil. If we, you know, that's why in the scriptures, from the beginning to the end, Old Testament to the New Testament, God always encourages submission. Not just to him, but to your parents. To authorities, Romans 13, 
to pray and submit to authorities, God-ordained authorities, to parents. Why is it that rebellion is one of the main problems of parents, you know, in, in our generation, in many generations? You know, in the Old Testament, it's very, very cruel how they punish rebellion of, of children to parents. Stone to death. Stone to death. I wonder how many people will be left alive right now if it's still in operation. There is that internal, that fallen nature of humanity. There's that internal desire to rebel. Internal wicked desire to not submit to authority. You know, you understand this, right? You who were teenagers once. <laughs> it's not just your children. It's also you. <laughs> Us. We, we wanted to be equal to our parents. The enemy accuses our parents against us. They don't understand me. I know better than them. You don't want to submit to their authority as parents, but you want them to feed you and to provide you shelter. Hello? Hello, rebellion. I will make myself like the Most High. And if I am like the Most High, I don't have to submit to Him anymore. Again, I say that the enemy's desire is for you to be like Him. So if you're not submitting to authorities, if there's no one that you are answerable to, be careful. Be careful. Hey, if you, someone rebukes you, Pastor Jeff rebukes you, your DJ leader rebukes you, gives a feedback, a loving feedback, and you don't want to receive that rebuke? Pride. With me? Haha. Tahimika. Thank you, Jesus. Now, that is how the enemy looks like. Let's now move to how the enemy works and some of the things that he, he works. It can be simply described into this. The influence of the enemy is directed to only two things. Number one is to keep people from connecting with God. And that's for the unbelievers, those who do not know God yet. And number two is to influence people to disconnect from God. Those who are already connected with God and somehow the enemy has still found his way to lure them out of God's presence. And this is very evident to every character that has fallen out of the Lord, Lord relationship with the Lord in the scriptures. Most famous, Judas. He was a disciple. He was a disciple. And the, the disciples, when Jesus said in the table in the Last Supper that one of you will betray me, you know, the, the other disciples did not say, oh, surely it's Judas. They didn't know who it was. Why? Because every single one of them outwardly looks like they are faithful. They didn't have an idea it was Judas. Because Judas somehow looked like he had a right and fruitful relationship with the Lord. But time reveals it anyway. Are you with me? Look at this, look at this, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age, again, that's the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's the work of the enemy, isn't it? It has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they will not see. Because the moment that you see, that's where we get the, the, the word enlightenment. When you, you are enlightened, when you begin to see all of us here who were not Christians before. And then when we became a Christian, what happened? You saw. You saw. You understood. You perceived. Now I understand. And now I give my life to Jesus. But before, you were blinded. You were blinded. And that's the work of the enemy. That's why we should pray for blind eyes to be opened up. Because when they no matter what you say to them, if their eyes are blinded, 
okay. That's why you have to pray. The, the principle of, you know, the, 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 the operation of the power of the enemy when uh, Adam and Eve fell in the garden, you know, it, the, the Bible says the sting of sin is death, right? The sting of sin is death. Now, in the garden before the fall, death was dead. There was no death in the garden of Eden before the fall. Are you with me? Death, de death is dead. I mean, it doesn't operate in the garden. Everything was good, flourishing. There was no decay. There was no sickness. There was no one's dying. Everything was immortal. Look at that. Death was dead. For death to work, the man simply just have to disobey and detach himself from God. For, for death to work, Man just simply has to get out of alignment with God. Are you with me? Are you understanding this? Like a plant, right? A plant. A plant, when it's planted in the soil, attached in the trunk, that's the stems, right? Life flows, right? Putulin mo yung sanga, remove it from the, the, the vine, or pull it out from the soil. What will happen? Death will begin to happen. Are you with me? For death to work, one needs only to detach himself from the source of life. And how do you do that? Sin. How do you do that? For That's why the wages of sin is death. Are you with me? And that's, that's where God has rescued us from, the curse of death. That even though we were dead to sin, you know, He died our death so that we can be attached to the vine again and life can flow in our lives again. Are you with me? Now that you are attached, the apostles who wrote the letter says, stand firm. Do not detach anymore. Amen. Yes. Come on. Give the Lord the best thoughts of praise. With me. You're understanding this. Hey, this is really important. Uh, talking about detachment, you know, the life of God flowing in your life and death operating if you are detached or out of alignment from God. There are four relationships that the enemy doesn't want you to have. And obviously, the first one of that is God. Second one, marriage and family. Number three is the church. And number four are authorities. Encapsulating all this, you know, this is uh, somehow where the life of God flows. It flows through harmonious relationships. Firstly, us towards God. And then if our relationship with God is severed or are detached from God, it automatically flows that our relationships with our fellow men will be influenced by that. Because our relationship with God should influence our relationship with one another. Are you with me? The more closer you are to Jesus, the more growing you are in your relationship with God, the more growing you are in the fruits of the Spirit. Your patience, your, good, your, your gentleness, your everything. That affects relationships. Marriage and family. Why are there so many broken relationships, families in the world today? That's the enemy's work. He doesn't want whole families. And, and, and marriages, for example, and, and we will remember that passage when I was talking about foothold. You know, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. Right? And do not give the enemy a foothold. And every time you don't resolve issues in your relationships as soon as possible, there is a foothold. The enemy has a foothold. And that's our mandate. You have to resolve these things and realize that, hey, we are not enemies here. There is a greater enemy. Now, a lot of stories that comes from our church leaders, not just here, but in Manila as well, you know, especially when you are married and you're about to lead worship, you're about to be SR, you're about to, you know, do missions or, 
you know, lead the Bible study in the house, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a conflict. <laughs> Where did that come from? I'm about to stand on the platform. What's happening to us? Why are we fighting? The enemy is at work. And, you know, the enemy is so workaholic, he doesn't have a day off. He doesn't have a day off. It doesn't mean it's Christmas holiday. He's on holiday as well, no? He doesn't rest. And that's reason enough for you to abide in the Lord and never get out of His presence. Because the devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, lions or wolves, they don't attack herds. They wait for an opportunity for one sheep or one cow, baby cow, what do you call it, calf, to get out of the herd and then they attack. And that's the reason why God doesn't want you to belong to a church. Because it's easier to attack you when you're not in the family of God. When you're alone, that's when you're most vulnerable. With me? Are you with me? Yes? And that's why you being part of this church family, it is a blessing. You don't understand the spiritual protection that is around your life when you commit to a local church family. That spiritual protection that God generates when you are belonging to the family of God. You know, young people, you know, young people, I encourage you never to detach from the church. There will be many allurements of the world, many things that the world will tell you to try and will somehow lure you. I have had, I've been in the youth ministry for like many years before and at the beginning of that youth ministry, I've had several batchmates we were on fire for God. We were singing songs together, crying, weeping, you know, proclaiming Jesus. And, you know, high school, college, we begin to enter young professional world, working. And little by little, one by one, I don't see them in church anymore. And sadly, some of them have ended up in a chaotic relationships and just torturous future just because they have detached themselves from the church, from the body of Christ. Life flows when you're aligned. Life flows when you're attached. Life flows. Hey, can you say to the person next to you, I will not let you go. Uh, the person behind you, I will not let you go. Can you say to the person next to you, I have your back. I have your back. Amen. Amen. All right. We're finishing. We're finishing. I'll be continuing the rest of this uh, teaching next week. And uh, just, you know, brace yourselves because it's going to be uh, another, like, uh, enlightening word. And I will be talking more about spiritual warfare. We talked about Satan or the enemy uh, today. And then next week, we're going to talk more about the idea of the spiritual warfare, the, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we're going to develop that in further understanding. Amen? Are you with me? It's a bit more informative today, but I hope that you, you understand where, where, where you are standing as a child of God. Again, it is not for you to be afraid of the devil. It is to actually realize that you have greater power than the enemy because you are a child of God. Your identity, I, I remember this uh, very, I was inspired by a scene in The Lion King. Who have watched The Lion King? Lion King. Love that Disney movie. Uh, there was a scene there where, you know, uh, Simba and Lala wanted to be adventurous and they disobeyed basically. Uh, Mufasa, their fa his father. So Simba 
wanders away in the wilderness and he finds himself surrounded by the hyenas, right? He was in the land of the hyenas and he was being chased by the hyenas. Knowing that he is the next upcoming king, the hyenas wanted to kill him. And that was a wonderful scene wherein um, as a little cub, you know, uh, Simba, when surrounded by the hyenas, begins to roar. And then the hyenas laughed at him. I was like, oh, is that the roar of the future king? <laughs> and then he roars again. And then the hyenas laughed again. <laughs> and then he roars for the third time. And this time, a loud roar was heard echoing throughout the kingdom. And the hyenas terrified and trembled at the sound of that roar. And Simba was surprised. Is that me? No, it's not him. It's his father behind him. The enemy trembles at the roar of your father behind you. On your own, you are helpless. But with God on your side, you are a victor. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, would you stand up on your feet? I used to think when I was a young Christian, when I was hearing talks about spiritual warfare, you know, the louder that you shout, in Jesus' name, get out, get out, <laughs> right? The louder that you shout, the, the greater the power. <laughs> I used to think that when I was younger. But now I know that spiritual warfare and really victory in Christ depends not on how loud you shout against the enemy, but victory in Christ really depends on how close you are to the Father. That is your victory. That is your win. How close you are to the Father. Every single day, to approach God, to be in His presence, to, found, to be found in Him. You know, we, we look at that Ephesians chapter 6, and that... They say that there are six weapons, you know, six pieces of armor. I actually brought one here. <laughs> By the power of grace, God. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sword. <laughs> you shall not pass. One of the words, one of the, the weapons that has been described in Ephesians chapter 6 is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, and it describes it as the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Among all those six pieces of armor that's been described in that Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit is the only one that is for offensive. All the others are defensive. You know, uh, advancing the kingdom of God will not take place. Moving forward, advancing the kingdom of God will not take place, but just defense. You need the sword of the Spirit. You cannot fight the schemes and the works of the enemy without the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. How is your relationship with your Bibles? The Word of God. Apart from it, you have no sword. You don't have a way to fight. That's why spending time in the Word of God every single day, that's you standing in front of your Heavenly Father so that when the enemy comes, it's not your roar. God is not afraid with your opinion. God is afraid with the Word of God. Uh, the enemy is afraid with, not afraid with your opinion. The enemy is afraid with the Word of God. And when you're rooted, planted in the Word of God, that's your victory. Amen? Amen. Hey. Chin up. Be confident. The battle belongs to the Lord. Not to Simba. It's Mufasa. It's not you. It's God. And you will win. You have overcome. Because He already did. When He died on the cross, He already did. He said, it is finished. I have overcome.
sin, death, and the grave. Amen. Come on, give the Lord the best claps of praise. Hallelujah. Can we worship the Lord together? Amen. And meditate on this song, the power of the name of Jesus. It's the roar of God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, Father. Come on, begin to connect. Begin to dwell. Begin to lean in. Begin to just be restored in the presence when of the Almighty. I speak your oh, Jesus. Name, yes, Lord. Mountains Victory is yours because of the name of Jesus. Oh, when I speak your name. When I speak your name. of our communion this morning we do remember we do remember Lord God the battle that you have won that excruciating pain that you have suffered and have overcome Lord God down from the garden of Gethsemane where you have sweat blood overcoming the lure and temptation to not fulfill that mission but you said not my will Lord but your will be done not my will, but your will be done. And when you hang there on the cross, you were winning for us. You were taking us out from the dominion of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of light. Spiritual warfare has already been won. And Lord, today, we just have a decision to make. Lord God, one day in our lives, we had a decision to make. And for many of us here, we made the right decision by submitting to your authority and surrendering our lives to you, Jesus, to be our Lord, our Master, our King. Unlike Eve, 
who has rejected your authority. We were the ones who have been saved. And Lord, today there are people here who may be churchgoers or maybe coming for the first time but does not really submit to your authority. Your salvation is within your submission. As you submit to God today and acknowledge, God, I am a sinner. I am rebellious just because I am not aligned to you. You might think you're a good person. You might think that, oh, I am not a murderer or, or a heinous criminal or something like that. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That to those who will believe Him, to those who will receive Him, to those who will submit to His Lordship, He has given the right to become children of God. And today is your opportunity. Today is your salvation. If you are that person with every eyes closed and every head bowed down, would you follow after this simple prayer of surrender with the church, the voice of the church with you from your heart? Come on, surrender to God and say this, Father God, I surrender to you. I acknowledge I am a sinner. Today I repent of my sins. I surrender my will and my life and I submit to yours. Thank you for dying on the cross. Even though I am unworthy, you've loved me unconditionally and you want me to be a child of God. The battles in this world is no longer mine but yours. And because you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you are the champion. Thank you, Lord, for the victory that you have given me in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. On your seats are this communion cups, and uh, we normally do this every first Sunday of the month. I encourage you, that though this is our uh, somehow tradition in this church to do this every first Sunday of the month, whenever you have the opportunity, even among your family, do this in remembrance of Him. Amen? Whenever you have the opportunity. When you gather your family, I encourage you to do family altars at least once a week gather your family after dinner to pray together you know and to just you know meditate on a scripture or a passage gather your family parents do that gather your children once a week once a week amen father we thank you for these elements that we have in our hand symbolizing your body that was broken on the cross so that we can be made whole Lord, because of what you have done for us, indeed, Lord God, we have the victory that we can claim through the accomplished work of the Son of God on the cross. Thank you for this bread as we partake of it. Lord, we appropriate, Lord God, its power and its blessing to manifest, Lord, operate in our mortal bodies. Thank you, Jesus, for the healing that you bring through the work of the Lord on the cross. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink, uh, take of the bread together. And that same night, as Jesus gathered his disciples, taking the cup, he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Poured out for you. Every time you take of this bread and drink of this cup, the Lord says, remember me. Remember what I have done. Remember the promise that has been fulfilled. The promise that will never ever be broken. Oh Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all our sins. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that purifies our hearts. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that serves, Father, as our protection and covering that no works of the enemy shall prevail because we are covered by the blood. The enemy cannot cross the bloodline. Father, as 
the times of Moses when they have put the blood on the doorposts of their house and death could not enter in. So it is in our lives, in our families, the blood of Jesus, our protection. Oh God, our covering, we thank you for it has been poured out for each one of us. Lord God, we honor you and with reverence we drink this. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Be exalted. Be exalted. Be exalted. Higher and higher. Be exalted. Come on. Adore Him. Worship Him. Thank Him. Appreciate Him. Love Him. Amen. Love Him. Oh, you are welcome. Amen. as you stand in your identity as children of God. You will advance the kingdom of God forward one soul at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen.